1: So James pictures desire conceiving, giving birth to sin, and sin, once in existence, if it becomes full grown, produces death. It's saying if a person welcomes rather than resists temptation,
2: it overpowers you and it results in death. Welcome to another edition of Study Verse by Verse, where our teacher, Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, is taking us through the book of James, and he's still in chapter 1, and we'll pick up at verse 15 in just a few moments. If you'd like to have uh, more details about the church, well, their website is churchofthehighlands.org. A lot of activities happening at the church as we move through spring, and I hope you'll check it all out. Again, that's highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. Thanks for joining us, and here's Pastor Layton.
1: Now, the word desire, oftentimes for us, carries with it a sexual connotation, and it can mean that because it's used in that sense in the New Testament, but it really has a broader meaning because It it refers to anything that God prohibits, anything that God prohibits. Each of us has our own desire. There's some bait or some lure that attracts us that we have an appetite for, and that may work on us and not on the person next to us. Theirs is a different bait. Theirs is a different lure. And Satan is an expert on figuring out what bait or what lure works for you. He's been doing it for millennia. He is an expert fisherman. You know, I, I was told a story about two men that went into a store, and each of them had a list. And, and so the first guy finished his list. He goes looking for his friend. He finds his friend in the back of the store, and his friend is flushed and perspiring, and he starts talking to his friend. He finds out his friend is dealing with an issue, resisting the temptation to shoplift, to steal. The first guy, that wasn't anything that attracted him at all. It was something that the the second guy had an appetite for. And each of us have our own appetites. And those appetites differ. Now, for appetite to conceive, it must intersect with opportunity. Appetite and opportunity have to come together for something to be conceived. If you have appetite but no opportunity, nothing's going to happen. If you have opportunity but you have no appetite, nothing's going to happen. But when appetite and opportunity come together, that's a dangerous, dangerous combination. And that's why it's so important for us to know our weaknesses, know what bait, what lure works on us, and manage the intersection of appetite and opportunity. Don't let them come together. If we know that we have a certain weakness, then we stay away from any opportunity for that weakness to manifest itself, to act itself out. I was told a story of a a man that had long been a drunk, and and, and people knew it, and one night he shows up at church, and and he gives his heart to Jesus Christ, makes a profession of faith as Savior and Lord, and everybody's excited about it, and the next Sunday night, the guy shows up drunk as a skunk again. And the pastor goes to him, he says, what happened? He said, well, pastor, I'm I on, on my way walking to church like I normally do. And I walked by the old tavern, and I heard the voices and the singing and the laughter and my friends, and I just went in to say hi. <laughs> and then somebody offered me a drink and, and then it was more than one drink. And the pastor said, well, sir, I, I suggest you find a different path when you walk to church. Don't go by the old tavern. Don't go by the old friends, because it'll lure you back in. It's important for us to manage our lives in such a fashion that opportunity and appetite don't come together. Verse 15, Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so what he's describing here is the havoc, the mayhem, the, the destruction the desire can reach, uh, that, that it can wreak in a, in a, in a life. And, and his purpose here is to show that this course and outcome of temptation proves that it cannot possibly come from God. It cannot possibly come from God. So James pictures desire as conceiving, giving birth to sin, and sin, once in existence, if it becomes full grown, produces death. It's saying if a person welcomes rather than resists temptation, then desire conceives. And if it's not immediately killed when it is conceived, when sin is young, then it goes to be full grown. And when it's full grown, it overpowers you and it results in death. We need to kill sin in its infancy. Stop it in its infancy. Don't let it become full-grown. Now, it's also important here that James indicates that temptation in and of itself is not sinful. That when desire conceives, then sin comes into being. The desire itself, the temptation, is not sin. And this is important for us to understand because there are some Christians that are very, very sensitive, and sensitivity is a good thing, but they're extremely sensitive and, and, and because they have an ongoing struggle with some temptation in their life, they have come to the conclusion there must be something wrong between me and God. That I, I'm not in good fellowship with God because I keep getting hammered by this same temptation again and again and again and again. There must be something wrong between me and God. Listen, Christian maturity is not measured by the infrequency of temptation, but rather by the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. Did you hear that? Christian maturity is not measured by the infrequency of temptation. Those temptations are going to keep coming as long as you keep breathing, but rather by the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. As we grow more and more mature, as we grow more and more strong, those temptations have less and less ability to be successful in bringing us down. Verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so he's saying, don't be deceived. This is significant. This passage is warning us against thinking that God is the author of temptation. And what he's saying is instead of sending temptation... God is the giver of everything that's good. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from God. The idea is it rules out any possibility that God would send something to us that was destructive, like temptation. God's gifts are always marked by kindness and helpfulness, never destructiveness. They are always perfect. No opportunity for moral evil. Nothing but good comes from God. If it's good, it's God. And then the second half of this verse shows that this is invariably true and will continue to be true because he says that the giver is changeless. And he uses two astronomical terms that describe the variation that's caused by the movement of the heavenly bodies. Days are shorter and longer in summer and winter and and shadows are shorter and longer and so forth. And so what he's saying is lights change, creation changes, but the creator doesn't change. Same yesterday, today, and forever. In Malachi 3.6, God said, I am the Lord, I change not. God doesn't change. He gives good gifts, that's not going to change. He gives perfect gifts, that's not going to change. He's not going to send anything that's not good. Verse 18, of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. And so here He advances His final argument for denying that God is the author of temptation because rather than God acting destructively, God always acts constructively. Sin brings forth death, but God brings forth life. He has brought us forth. He has given us life. He's speaking here of spiritual life. And then he describes us as the first fruits. And in the ancient world, the first fruits were sacred to God. They belonged to God. And when we were reborn By the word of truth, we become the property of God. We become the first fruits. We are set apart and sanctified for Him. He has done this by His own will, as the author says. And if He's done it by His own will, why would He undo it by tempting us to sin? It doesn't make any sense. That's what James is saying. Far from ever tempting man, God's gifts are inevitably and invariably good. Now, we've just got a few moments here, and, and I'd like to go back uh, to something that we observed earlier, and that is our tendency to find something or someone else to blame, which mankind are experts at. I mean, when we fail in some temptation, some trial, we inevitably are predisposed to find something or someone else to blame. It, uh, it was my mother's fault it was my father's fault. It was my boss's fault. It was the fault of my culture. Um, it was the fault of my DNA. I mean, we will find something to blame. And when we're doing that, we're playing the victim card. And the victim card works like this. It's not my fault. I'm just a victim here. Whatever was the cause this situation, that caused me to fail, is outside of my control. I'm just a victim. And by doing that, we think that we're going to release ourselves from carrying any burden of responsibility for what we've done. What James says, uh uh-uh. The desire came from inside of you. So what we need to do is take ownership of our failures. It's my fault. I made that decision. Because when we take responsibility for what we've done, then we can confess our sins instead of confessing somebody else's sin. So we need to Make sure that when we mess up, we immediately take ownership of it. And there's another aspect to it as well, and that is that we as a church family need to always, always, always protect the unity of the Spirit. That we protect this as being a place where people can come and they can be honest about their failures. They can be transparent. They can be authentic. They can be genuine. They can say, I have messed up. I need help here. And they find a place of help here at Church of the Highlands. This is a hospital, not a social club. A social club is where people come together to impress each other with how spiritual they are. The world doesn't need another Christian social club. This is a hospital where
2: people come to be healed. Amen? Yes, amen. Thank you for joining us on this, another edition of Study Verse by Verse from Pastor Leighton Scheele and Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, a church that offers a variety of ways in which you can get involved with a Christian community. There are local study groups. There are uh, services, of course, across the weekend, both Saturday and Sunday. You'll find details about all that's happening on the web at highlands.us. That's Highlands. They'd love to see you on a Sunday. Perhaps you're looking for a church home. I would suggest you consider Church of the Highlands if you're in the San Bruno area. If you'd like to listen to any of the past broadcasts in this series or another series, we're on the web with this program at studyversebyverse.com. I'm Mike Trout. Join us tomorrow, if you can, as we ramp up the week and continue in the book of James, studying verse by verse.